I want to ask you some accounting question. Oh, no. Okay, sure. (laughs) (laughs) This is not going to be that boring. I promise. I promise. But this is coming up because I've had a few people ask me this in the last month or two. And I don't know the exact right ways to answer. And so I thought because realtors ask me this all the time, I may be able to just direct them to this. 10 minute segment yeah. of the podcast all right. and say, here, this Resource guy knows podcast. way more than me. Okay. I like <laughs> this it. is where I learned all my shit from. Uh, this doesn't fit in with my theme of like, I'm trying to redefine like my self identity <laughs> as like, I'm not a, an accountant, number okay. one. Like, I'm, I'm a person. No, fair. <laughs> no. Fair. <laughs> Happy to help though. Okay. Give me 10 minutes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the right time to prec and why having a hold co and the prec is the right move at that time to invest through the hold co. Okay. Um, yeah, I get this a lot, to be honest. Like, yeah. I think it's a huge question, whether it be like realtors or really anybody who's running a business. Um, you know, usually you start out as a proprietorship because it's just it's easy. Like, yeah. you don't have to do anything. You basically just start operating. You report everything on your personal taxes. Um, but to incorporate, and like, I guess, especially with a realtor, um, it's not like a magic number. Um, some people think, like, a lot of people actually say and share advice like, oh, yeah, it's once you make over 200000 you should do it. It really depends on how much money that you need to spend on your lifestyle versus how much money you're actually saving, right? So if you're a net saver, you know, say at the end of the year, you have 20, 30, 50, $100,000 maybe that you want to contribute to like a savings account that you're not going to use for your, your mortgage or rent or other business expenses. Um, that's where it starts to get valuable because um, when you're incorporated, you are subject to the small business rate in most cases, which is 11% currently, um, versus if you're making over 200, you know, I think it's 230 now, uh, a year personally, it's 53% tax. So there's a huge difference there. Um, that's the savings really 53 now it's over 50%. Holy yeah. Cow. Yeah. I thought it was 46 um, or something. I should have brushed up on my current tax rates. I'm probably <clears throat> like quoting them wrong, but, that's not, that's um, right. but around that range. So. And again, this isn't like an absolute savings, it's deferral. So basically, if you're going to pull that money out later by a boat or something like that, you're going to have to pay the remaining taxes that are kind of left over between the two. That's the other misconception. Some people think that you have to pay taxes twice if you're incorporated. Right. Like, yes, you pay two different tax bills, but in Canada, there's something called integration, where if you're incorporated or not, generally, your overall taxes you pay at the end of the day when you're pulling money out, you end up in the same spot, roughly. Like, it's a one or 2% difference depending on timing and kind of how you do it. And rates can also change in the meantime, a little bit here and there, but you know, all things being equal, you're kind of in the same position. And so the advantage of having the corporation is paying the lower tax, which means you're essentially saving 35% roughly. Yes. That and, and is so, now an invest in your investing instead of giving it to the government. Exactly. And so that, you know, and, and with realtors in particular, um, there are some restrictions in terms of like, you can't buy real estate in your prec. Um, so that's where the whole code comes in. But my understanding is you are still allowed to have like an investment portfolio. So a lot of times if people are starting out, hey, I want to incorporate, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure I'm ready for hold co yet because it does add a little bit of complexity and some cost, you know, legal and accounting year to year. Um, some people will um, just, you know, have a basic portfolio in their prec. Um, that's okay as a temporary solution. I usually don't recommend for too long. Like if that builds up quite a bit, um, it could be a bit of a risk. Um, obviously realtors, you have insurance, but like, say, you know, in any other business, I always recommend, like, if you get sued, if you have money in that company, it's kind of at risk. So it's better to have it in a holding company. So from a legal perspective, that's an advantage. 
And then with realtors, obviously, since you can't buy a rental property, and if you're in real estate, quite often that's an attractive thing to invest in, um, you'll want to maybe have a hold code to hold those properties. I didn't know you couldn't own a property in a practice. It's, I believe it's in um, the, is it the real estate council that like, or a real estate board? <laughs> what do you, who do you report to or who do you? Council is like council you pay the dues body. to. So the council has like rules around a prac, and this is what like this is also why you need to engage a lawyer when you're when you're um, setting up your prac. They will actually request permission from the real estate council, and then they have to sign off on a report saying yes, the company meets these criteria. Um, and within there too, it just mentions that you're not permitted to own investments in real estate. It's just considered a conflict of interest. The mm-hmm. way around it is to have a hold co. It seems kind of silly, probably is, yeah. but like. <laughs> You know, um, that's, that's kind of how that works. Um, yeah. And I think like adding a hold coin, that's another whole question. And it's like, you know, usually it comes up when there's a property or some sort of investment in mind and that's when that conversation starts. So, um, you know, it can, the answer can vary depending on what you're looking at. Like if it's a commercial property, like usually you're going to incorporate a new company for that anyway. So it probably wouldn't even go into that hold co maybe it's a sub of that company. So there can be a lot of different structures depending on what you're getting into. Right. The insurance thing is an interesting uh, and an important thing, I think, that I rarely remember to bring up. And as you said it, I said, I was thinking, oh yeah, right. That's important. But it's off the top of my head, because I like have these conversations with you once a year and like set up this stuff five years ago now, maybe. Yeah. So I don't really remember, but I was like, yeah, I think it's important. (laughs) So... You're required to have liability insurance individually, or are you covered through like a group policy of some sort? Like, yeah, yeah, okay. So You're I mean, like that protects you, and I mean, like I've never heard of somebody going beyond, like even like with as an accountant, same thing. I have to have a minimum of a million dollars of liability. I think we have like ten million or something now, but um, we have to have that, and that protects you. But you just never know like what's going to happen. So keep your assets safe. If you have the other company, move your assets to the other company. It just makes sense. It's not that difficult to do if you have it set up properly. And again, that's, that's the whole thing. Like if you're new, it's good to have a conversation with an accountant, have a conversation with a lawyer, educate yourself because, um, these are all things that you probably never need to call upon them. It's almost like a shareholders agreement. You hope you never have to pull it out of the drawer, but if you need it, it's probably because you're in hot water and you really, at that point, we'll be happy that you set it up properly. hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Carl. <laughs> Carl hates when I cough in the mic. You like investing in real estate. I do. Why? What do you, what do you like about? Why do I? That's real a really estate. interesting question. Well, you have a few rental properties. One of which I I've liquidated to your... a few recently, but fair. Um, yeah. One, and you have an Airbnb, so I wanted to chat with you about your experience about Airbnb too. Yeah. Um, real estate is just intriguing because like every property is unique in a certain way. I mean, even if it's in like a condo building and you go, yeah, it's the same as the neighbors and stuff. Like each one is a different price or there's different, you know, it looks different or, um, you know, maybe your potential tenant situation is different. So there's a lot of different variables. So I think I kind of like that because it's a bit of a, um, you know, there's always a bit of analysis you can do and maybe you have your unique kind of eye on like something that you know you hope somebody else doesn't see, right? I'm sure you see this a little bit too, like with neighborhoods and different, you know, different pockets that you're familiar with and you kind of go like, I see value here, like this is a good deal. For sure. Um, I think I like that. 
Um, it gets addictive. Like I like just perusing around and seeing what's out there. Like it's actually just fun. Um, yeah. It's funny you say that. A lot of people ask us of like, what do you do all day other than look at homes? Because that's all I do during my search. Like I get home from work and I'm scrolling, looking at everything, right? <laughs> What's new today? What's right? new today? That's right? what so many buyers say to me. And it's funny that I rarely have been like that with the investments and purchases that I've purchased in Greater Vancouver. Okay. Just because I know market and product type so well that like usually my house hunt when I'm wanting to move is like very, very short because I know right. what I want. Yeah. And I just buy the one that the next one that comes up kind of thing. Yeah. But the place in California, I felt myself become the consumer. And Did I was you fall just in like, love with it? I was just obsessed with like okay. looking at realtor.com. Yeah. In the States, looking at like what else is around there, what else is selling, why this complex is different than this complex. They're right next door. Why is that one one point two? This one's seven fifty. Trying to figure it out. So why do you think that was a different experience for you than, you know, the standard, you know, in the mm-hmm. lower mainland? Because I mean you you bought homes for yourself as well here. I think real estate works differently down there. Mm-hmm. And I think just being involved in this market every day, all day, it's just like second nature. <clears throat> right. It's like me asking you a question about a prec. I didn't like text you three days ago and say, hey, make sure you do some research on this. It's just like you have all the knowledge in your head. Yeah. And I think for me in Greater Vancouver real estate is just like people will say, hey, I know you don't have time right now. They'll call me. <clears throat> hey, no, you don't have time right now. Can you just give me an updated value of my house? And I'll be like, yeah, it's like 950-ish, 975 maybe. Yeah. Like, how do you know that? Because I like, I see I this sold the product. house in my neighborhood two weeks ago. Like, totally. Yeah, yeah. We're seeing dozens of these every single week. Um, but I think in the States, it was like starting from scratch almost. Yes, I understand right. like what the process is going to look like and I understand what to look for in homes. And maybe when I'm looking online at a couple different complexes, like I mentioned, I am quicker to understand like why there's value in certain different areas because I'm just used to it. But at the same time, it was uh, like just a cool learning experience. Mm -hmm. And I know that area of that city pretty well, just because I've been going down there for a long time. Yeah. And so then it was almost like uh, an obsession of looking at like the different country clubs and, oh, I've always wanted to play golf here. Let's scroll through the houses and see, you know, you can see through the backyard of what the golf course looks like. (laughs) So it was like obsessive. And then I think it was at that time, the market started climbing a little bit there too. This was like last November. And so it seemed like every sale was higher than the last. And so it just got, even after I bought it, it was like kind of fun to go back and see, oh, I remember in that complex, they we used to be 200 grand less. Right. It's kind of crazy to watch. Just justifying your purchase. Totally. <laughs> totally. As you should. Totally. Yeah. It helps for sure. Yeah. And then looking at like the value of a home with a pool versus one without a pool. And you're like, well pool costs 70 grand to put in why is why is the difference 250 yeah anyway that's fun. I, I appreciate that you like put yourself in the shoes of the consumer sometimes like i know when you went through your big reno uh with the new s property it was similar too where you learned a lot and you came out of it going like i don't know if i'd ever do a big reno again but now i know if a client's going into it i can advise them on certain parts of it like hey did you consider this this is really expensive did you consider like I think there was like a drainage issue or something, right? Where you had to put some underground pipes in or something. And it's like, oh, well, that was a surprise, right? All, all these different things, right? That was, I say that was probably the single biggest value add experience I've ever had for my career. <clears throat> and yes, it's very important to like learn how to run 
multiple offers and like <clears throat> learn how to run a listing, learn how to market a home properly, all these different types of things. Communication is a big one that takes a while to kind of figure out through your career. But yeah, that is one of the biggest things that I think sets me specifically apart from like other good realtors is just having construction knowledge. Yeah. You really only I, get it from going through I think that. there's a difference between like, like there's business acumen, like you mentioned, like communication and these skills that you go as a realtor, you need, you know, I need to understand how a contract works. I need to understand pricing. I need to understand communication. You go, yeah, that's the core. But then there's like experience where like you've gone through, you've bought and sold a lot of homes for clients. You've bought and sold properties like personally and for investment purposes. You did this renovation. Like every single one of those is probably like a golden tip that you can come out and go like, if I only learn this one thing from this project, I'm keeping that. That's, that's perfect, right? And you can't learn those things through a book or by reading. You have to go through it and feel the pain sometimes. And learn the expensive educational lesson of I'm never going to do this again, you know, um, or I'm never going to, if I see the client going into this, I'm going to advise them strongly not to do this. Right. Totally. Yeah. We, uh, almost had an expensive one. So we had a, we had two PIDs. So there's the back lot on that property. That's right. Yeah. Cause the backyard is a separate, completely separate, um, separate lot. Unit, basically. We right? had, yeah. uh, plans approved with the city. We sold the plans to a developer before we even marketed both homes. We were like doing photos, getting the front home ready to put up for sale. Did you have plans for the second one? I think you had like a rough <clears throat> so we architectural got, drawing or something for it, right? We yeah. got the, uh, the drawings done. We got them approved with the city. We got a building permit. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then we sold that package to someone who was right. going to build it. Yeah. Yeah. But before that happened, we, I think Jamie just like remembered like, oh shit, we didn't run services to the back lot. That's right. <laughs> and the and you had to, you had to get an easement that's for right. it, right? The yeah. connection is oh. in the front of the house, uh, in the street. So we had to redig up the side of the yard, which we already did all the drain tile, right? So it would have been easy to run those lines there. So we had to redig the, the trench all the way down the side of the house and run the get the easement and run the services but so were you and jamie out, out there were shovels like digging this trench or no we just uh, <laughs> sucked it up <laughs> somehow i knew the answer to that but it's <laughs> you don't think i'm a handy guy carl no, thinks i'm, I'm a handy that. guy i think you know a lot of things about construction but i don't know That's if i nice ever compliment. see you with a shovel <laughs> <laughs> i killed a spider yesterday does that count no <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny <clears throat> thank you carl that's actually a nice compliment because i very much pride myself in being able to have intelligent conversations with people about renos or home construction or things like that yeah not no. that i want to do it myself. i was gonna say you don't need to be able to do it yourself exactly but you need to have a little bit of know-how of like okay this is how much this costs here's the process I think also you're a bit of a doer in terms of like, there's some people that move into a home and they'll change nothing. And they're just happy to live there for 10, 15, 20 years and do nothing. And it's just, they keep it clean. They don't even change the paint color. Yeah. I don't, you don't strike me as that kind of person. Uh, yeah, no, I don't think so. I mean, <laughs> you can see some drywall holes above your head there. No, but like you're making this your own though. You're coming yeah. in here, you have plans for it. Like, you know, even down here with, with the studio, totally. putting some wood up, changing some things well, up. Like, But I put those holes in. <laughs> So oh, you did that. Yeah. Okay. So that is the Good only way we could get the line from the air conditioner outside to the furnace. Okay. So we had to cut a few holes, which is fine. We just you have put in like a, a heat pump type thing. Just or an, an AC unit. Easy. And again, like these are such valuable things to go through yourself so you can actually you can educate people on. Um, I need an education on this. I need I need new HVAC. Totally. So yeah. I 
just call. Luckily, I have some friends in trades like Carl and my brother is a builder. So I just asked Vinny, who, who's your HVAC guy? And I called a couple different people, got quotes. And literally just through asking a dozen questions, you learn what's the difference between a heat pump and an AC. Obviously, the heat pump provides heat and cooling. Uh, what is the difference in the cost? What are the pros and cons about taking out your furnace? Why would you take out your furnace if it's still there and it's only like seven years old or something? And I think the cost of the heat pump would be, it would have been roughly like 15 to 16 grand installed. With the heat pump, if you switch over to the heat pump, this is a lot of information, sorry. No. With the heat pump, you have the uh, ability to go after some rebates and you could get roughly yeah. six to $7,000 back. So that would cut your heat pump in half. But to get those rebates is a lot of effort. You have to ha arrange people from the city or from hydro or something like that to come inspect the home and provide that report. Booking those those inspections is like three to four months. Oh, and this is so it's like at an the energy end of June. rating or something. Like, is totally. your hose efficient enough? Totally. Okay. And this is at the end of June, and I'm like, I I just need the air conditioning. <laughs> I need it in. Yeah. I can't wait four months. Then we're gonna be in November, and it won't be till next summer. Anyway, so I went. I don't know if my house will pass any of that kind of stuff. It's like 1971. I don't know. Like, it's probably not efficient enough to even have a heat pump and make it worthwhile. You know? Yeah. And my the furnace here is totally fine and it's seven years old so then i'd also yeah. feel like i'm just throwing a normal well you wouldn't remove furnace the furnace though would you if you're With putting the heat, the heat pump in then what's the point of having the furnace you have both you want to heat your house up fast you just fire the gas up that's my understanding I anyways i don't know i think some people keep their furnace because people say like anything below seven degrees a heat pump can struggle to keep yeah. your house warm so I think a heat pump is good at like when oh. your house is warm, it keeps it warm. Yeah. But it's not good at like bringing it from one temperature to another, I think. Like it's not very powerful. Oh, interesting. I would assume there's different levels. Maybe that 15 grand one is probably the entry level. Yeah, it could be. <clears throat> and I'm sure you could spend 50 grand on a heat, on a, like a wicked heat pump that can heat no, a 7,000 square foot house or something. Then you're redoing your power. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so that's the other thing that I did here. So updated the panel to uh, 200 amp. That involves like BC, talking to BC Hydro. Got to get the meter redone or whatever. There's a lot yeah. of things, yeah. And yeah. I think I'm just comfortable enough now that I know the right questions to ask and where to go yeah. for information, Yeah, which is part of the problem. I think a lot of people with home renos are intimidated. They don't ask questions. And they, they go with the first person. Mm -hmm. And they've, they've had their friend that did a reno that felt like they got hosed that went 50 grand over budget and they just assume that the person they're talking to is going to recommend the most expensive thing. It's kind of like a car mechanic. It's like, you know, you, you always have these hesitations, right? Yeah. You don't know them. You're like, do I need that? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> There's a wicked Seinfeld. Do you watch Seinfeld? I do. There's a hilarious Seinfeld uh, show with uh, Putty. Putty is a car salesman and Jerry's getting a new sob and Elaine and uh, Putty are dating. So Jerry goes in there and he gets like a pretty good deal on the sob. But in the time that he's waiting for the car to be delivered, Elaine and Putty break up. <laughs> and then so he goes back in to pay for the car. He's like, oh, I didn't charge you the uh, the finder's fee, the uh, key fee, the whatever. And Jerry's like, <laughs> when he says finder's fee, he's like, it's, it was right there on the lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Putty's just like, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> There's another TV show, I can't remember, another sitcom probably. Where uh, he comes back with an invoice and he's like, $2,000 for a Johnson rod? What is a Johnson rod? 
Uh, yeah. I think a lot of people just are intimidated with trades. Real estate in general, I think, is intimidating for a lot of people because of the financial commitment involved. Yeah, especially people that are first-time buyers or first-time sellers, I guess. Um, 100%. New process. But, so it is. Which, side note, you're helping uh, one of our employees, which I appreciate. Your team is. so Very excited. I'm ongoing things right now, yeah. Mm-hmm. Very exciting. Mm-hmm. Very exciting. Uh, is there things in your industry that are like that? Like, can you think of like a really good things experience? people don't understand? Well, <laughs> lots. Definitely. But like, something... it's one of the major advantages of being an accountant. Nobody really gets what we do. <laughs> something that you've gone through personally, maybe that was a big elevator for you Ooh. as an accountant or you as a business owner. Or... Oh, yeah. I mean, probably I'm for learning you, every day. <laughs> probably for you, real estate is a good thing too, right? A lot of clients yeah. have investments in real estate and are trying to be as tax efficient as possible. Absolutely, yeah. And like we were talking before we started on like commercial properties, I think just navigating the differences there between you know, you bought and sold a couple of residential properties. Okay, clients looking for a commercial property, it's a different world. Yeah. Like it's not just hey, price per square foot, area, whatever. Like there's so many other variables that go into it. Um, those are always interesting. Um, I've been dealing a lot with like like mergers and acquisitions, like M and A stuff lately. Like clients buying or selling um, divisions or or their business, or you know acquiring a competitor. Yeah. I find that stuff really interesting, and everything is every deal is totally different, and every deal is a learning lesson for better or for worse. So, um, yeah, those have been pretty interesting lately. Is even on the commercial side, the lending is very different too, right? The lending is very different. Um, it's. Um, yeah, you don't just walk into a bank branch and like you have to deal with, you know, their commercial division. Um, one thing I've been learning is like every institution is good at different things. It's probably similar in residential too, where um, you start to get a vibe for, okay, this is, you know, this type of property. Maybe it's an industrial property. You go, well, I think these guys are really good at lending there or I have experience dealing with a broker that's good at that. Yeah, um, It makes a difference. Um, also, we deal with BDC a lot, like the Business Development Bank. They're like the Crown Corporation uh, Canadian government branch that will lend to businesses, um, whether it be like a like a working capital loan, like just to kind of run your business, or um, they really are good at doing real estate. They do charge higher rates, but it's because it's usually higher risk stuff. It's kind of like, you know, RBC won't lend to you, but you're an owner user or something like that. They're really good at coming in. And I've had lots of clients get decent deals with them. Um, and then maybe a few years down the road when like their equity increases, or maybe they do a big renovation on it, they get it revalued, maybe things stabilize, they can go to, you know, like a TD or wherever and, and get a bit of a better rate. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just kind of navigating like what that path is. Cause sometimes it's sort of like, yeah, you have phase one where you're, you're building a business and maybe the first two years is like an investment phase. It's not a lot of money coming in, but you have these projections kind of further out. Um, and it becomes dicier to kind of put those deals together. but. Um, yeah, there's always a way to do it and it's interesting kind of learning on each one. All those things are such like important experiences to have to be able to, it's not necessarily your job when a client is coming to you and saying, oh, you know, we need to be tax efficient for this because we want to buy this company or whatever. It's not necessarily your job to give advice on that buy side or whatever, just a random example, like buying a commercial property. But if you've gone through that and you can like explain some of the things you maybe mis- made mistakes on or yeah. like, Hey, maybe you went through two different commercial brokers or three different commercial brokers and say, okay, well I had bad experiences with these people, but this person, you know, really knew what they were talking about. You call them first or whatever. Right. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've, I've been like actually recently going out, like there's a client that's looking for a property. Like I'm going with him to look at properties now. It's, a, it's at that point where he's gone through so many. It's almost like, you know, between the two of us, we'll either spot something that's wrong or we'll go, yeah, this one works. So yeah. it's been kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. You are, we kind of talked about, you're looking for a commercial property for a new venture. You're yes. at the point in your career. How long have you been running KL? Uh, 10 year anniversary uh, in January, actually. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So you like, it's really cool to watch as a, well, I'll call myself a friend as a, it's really cool to watch like the evolution of your company too, from whenever I met you six or seven years ago to now a company of 25 ish. Yeah. Yep. And you seeing your role change, seeing like, I don't know how, I guess you've kind of evolved from accountant to like leader of all the people. And it's kind of fun to watch that. And I guess the question or like want some insight on when did you realize it was time to go after like a new venture? Uh, and how do you have time for that? <laughs> okay. um, interesting questions. Thank you. Um, I guess like to address your first point, um, was, was there a question in the first point about like my becoming kind of like more just, CEO or like your... <laughs> No, I mean, not really. Yeah. More just like, uh, when did I decide giving some, to giving listeners a little bit of background maybe? And then, yeah, like I then... think, um, ever since the beginning of my career, like I went into accounting because it interested me, but like, even when I started doing it, it wasn't like my passion to go and like prepare tax returns. I knew it was more of a means to an end. Like I need to understand these things. I want to help clients. I want to help people with their businesses. Um, also just every business, like you have to have an accountant, you have numbers, you have accounting that needs to be done. So in order, you know, it's, it would be really good and valuable to understand that. So that's kind of where it started from. Um, then we built the accounting firm up. Um, I still really enjoy pieces of that. And I've, you know, probably really started the journey and maybe like the beginning of 2020 of like going, okay, what do I really like about what I do? What are the things that need to get done that maybe I don't like quite as much? And just filling those gaps, finding people that, that really enjoy those things or are good at it yeah. and, and trying to kind of build, you know, do those one at a time, right? Um, and what that did is it kind of freed me up. Like there was a period where I was kind of bored because a lot of what I used to do was kind of taken care of. And I had been given some advice and I can't remember exactly where this came from, but it was just from talking with different people that have kind of like gone on this journey and run big companies or built companies up. It's like you have to kind of build, you have to work yourself out of a job to a certain extent, if you want to elevate, like find the thing that you're really good at, remove yourself from the things that you're not very good at and be okay with being bored for a while. Cause guess what? Like if you're a motivated person, like how long are you going to stay bored for? Are you going to let yourself just sit on the couch and be bored for months at a time? Like, no, it'll eat you alive. You're like, okay, what am I going to do? So there was a period where I'm like, what is it that I'm going to do? What am I trying to do? Like, and, and then I started just kind of like, yeah, learning you know, how, what, what ways can you run a company better? How can you improve? How can you treat your employees better? How can you attract good people? Like all these different things. And I find that really interesting now. So I think where the ideas of new businesses came from is like, I always had a lot of ideas in my head. And then when I had a bit more time, <laughs> I was able to kind of put a little bit of effort into these little ventures. And there's nothing like, I have a look like the real estate stuff is probably the primary one really. That's like a, a going concern. Like I have a couple rental properties, the Airbnb property. So there were times where I put a lot of effort into it. Um, 
but like that's also like somewhat passive like as you know like you get a rental property it's really fun to kind of like go and buy it and then it's just kind of boring like nothing ever happens if the rent comes in you're like okay great like every now and then they break a toilet or something like you got to go out like once every two years and fix something but like it's really not that much work unless you're dealing with a new tenant and yeah like it can be work but you know sometimes they what do they say the best investments are the boring ones like you know that's kind of rental properties to a certain extent totally um but yeah, I guess it was just, you know, giving myself that space, I think is, is kind of where I got to a point where I could focus on other things. So I still haven't hundred percent decided like what it is that I want to do. Like when I grow up, you know, I think it just constantly evolves, right? <laughs> like if you answered totally. that question five years ago, the answer is probably very different than it is today versus yeah. in five years from now. You, uh, you mentioned you, with your boredom time, <laughs> you found yourself like <laughs> searching for new knowledge on running the business where do you like what outlets are you going to for that stuff yeah so um actually it's interesting how this all came about so um that was like it was the beginning of covid and i don't think that spurred it like i'd always kind of like i think i had decided i wanted to join a ceo group and my title wasn't ceo so i just kind of like gave myself the title of ceo (laughs) that's that was my first step like i just decided that i was going to do that with no one's permission. And then I, <laughs> you just made a business. I card. eventually got permission, but yeah, yeah, it was kind of an interesting way of doing it. Um, I pretty much was doing that anyways. It just wasn't like a title, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so I went to this webinar and it was like, it was probably one of those like, hey, what is this COVID thing? We're all working from home now. Like, what are we going to do? Like, really early on, like April of like 2020 kind of thing. And it was put on by BDC. There you go. I'm plugging them again. Um, and it was like really interesting because it was all new stuff and it was actually like a super valuable. Um, little webinar thing. And then after that, the day after, the guy, um, Joshua, what is his last name? Mm. I'll have to figure that out and give him a shout out because he's a great guy. I And that reminds me, I should probably touch base with him. I haven't talked to him in like a year. He put the webinar on and he touched base with me. Like he personally phoned me the next day and I was like, oh, BDC, like who's this, right? And he called me up and we had like a really good conversation and I was like, this is really cool. Like I never knew this guy before. Um, he just was checking in with, you know, because I had, I think I had made a few comments in the webinar about a couple of things we were working on and he was like interested in that. And then I told him like about how I wanted to step up and like, you know, do more of the running the company stuff. And so he referred me to go to McKay CEO for him. He's like, hey, like, you know, these, these guys at McKay, they get like groups of owners of companies together, like 12 to 14 in a room and they meet every six weeks and they go through all sorts of different stuff. And then you can just kind of like, either air your grievances or ask questions. And I was like, you know what, like totally out of my comfort zone, but this is probably something worth looking at. And so I, I joined that. Um, and like that honestly was like a huge part of where I did a lot of learning. Cause just going into a room with people that run very successful companies, like it's super intimidating, but when you get to like, listen to their stories and their struggles, and then like you ask questions and they give you advice or like shared experiences, I think they call it like based on, you know, Maybe they went through that 20 years ago because they've been, these, some of these people have been CEOs for like 30 years, right? Yeah. Um, it's just really awesome, like just chatting with people and just getting on the level with all sorts of different people. Like, and in every group, there's, you know, it's not all just um, the same types of businesses. There's like, there's men, there's women, there's um, like not-for-profit um, leaders, there's different industries. So it's very cool to hear just different perspectives on stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, that was a bit of a journey. Um, through that program, they have like speakers too. So I've been exposed to a lot of different, like the people who chair the the meetings, like they're usually kind of thought leaders in different areas. So they all have different areas of expertise, whether it be like 
individual performance or like, hey, why having a good night's sleep is like uh, the wonder drug. Like there's just cool topics like that. And they'll put on like maybe a one hour little snippet of like their area of research. And then like, I've actually hired a few of them to come and talk to my team. Like I had them come out a few weeks ago. We had a, a big, um, like a, or a mini retreat, like it wasn't an overnight, but we went up to Whistler, had this guy speak for like two hours on like productivity and like how to, you know, turn your notifications off and focus and like, you know, all these different kind of like good tips, but also just like higher level thinking. And um, yeah, it's been really awesome. Just like lots of new connections, lots of new ideas. And I find you come out of those meetings and you're like, I have too many ideas. I have to jot these down and like park them somewhere sometimes because it's just almost too much to do. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned earlier customer service and how you really enjoy helping people, helping people run their businesses better, being more efficient tax wise, whatever that may be. How do you, this is a personal question because I'm like always conscious of the experience that clients have with our team, whether it's me or Jamie or anyone on the team. How do you like get employees, people on your squad to care as much about that user experience as, as you do? It's, it's always a challenge. It's yeah. super hard. Like, you know, um, I think in most businesses, like I think ours are very parallel that way where, yeah, we're, we're dealing with clients um, and it's a people business. And so the experience from that customer side is very important. Um, for us, I mean, there's different things that we do. Like your, your service is probably, I mean, there's two sides of it. It's like there's buying or selling, but it's probably a very similar type thing, right? For ours, it's like there's corporate and there's personal and then there's like consulting. So I think step one really is, is um, finding the right team. I think that's number one. Um, you know, we went through lots of challenges like along the way to like finding people, finding good people. Like how do you hone in on like what's important to you and what's not? Um, I think just going through that process as a business or as a leadership group going like who are we what are we trying to do here what are our goals what are our values like it's so important like you learn it like if you go to business school it's what you learn and i remember in school learning it and going like i don't really understand what this is it yeah. sounds like just fancy consultant talk yeah but like when you get to a size where you have like more than what do they say if you have more than five people in your business you're not in the real estate business anymore. You're in the people business. If you're running that company, you're no longer in real estate. Your job is just to manage those people now, whether yeah. you admit it or not. And if you don't treat it that way, you're going to have problems, yeah. right? Um, but yeah, so I think looking inside and going, not going, hey, what are the best things to write on this piece of paper that I think would be good if it was someone else's company? It's more like, who works well with us? Like, who do I want to come to work with every single day? Um, what value system do I think they have? And like, when you dig deep, like you can start actually kind of developing interview questions for different levels, depending on what you're hiring, that will like hone in on what you think the most important thing is. Like, do I think, you know, I think caring and collaboration are kind of my big ones. Like, can you work well with people? Can you, um, you know, work well in a team? Meaning like, maybe you lead that team, but maybe you're also a very good listener and you're not going to get offended when someone calls you out because part of problem solving is like, there's going to be problems and if everyone's afraid to speak up, that's not good, right? Yeah. So those are things that we think are important. So we make sure in an interview, we kind of challenge people on those points. And if they kind of lose their shit in the interview, you go, no, you're not going to be able to handle this job. Like you've, you've failed in day one, right? So yeah, you can make it a science. And to be honest, like you never really know until the person comes in the door. But I think HR, human resources, is like very, very important in any organization. doesn't matter how small it is. Like if you're hiring your first person, like hire the right person. But also don't 
overanalyze. Like, cause you can get in there and go, oh, I don't know this, I don't know that. You don't truly know somebody until you work with them for a while. So like, if it feels good, you can try it out. But if you know that things are going bad, you can quickly make a, a move. What do they say? Like hire them slow, fire them fast kind of thing, right? Like um, I can say that freely because honestly, like in my career, I haven't had to do a lot of like firing or letting go. We've been pretty lucky that way. Um, I'll also say during COVID, I think our, our sort of like culture sh- shone through uh, because we had z- like zero turnover in, in COVID, which is like very unusual mm. um, because I think everybody is just like, on a good level with each other. Yeah. And so that's always my fear as you build, you go like, if you add one more, there's a risk that there could be a poisonous apple. But like, so we're very careful with adding the next one, but like you do need to hire it if you want to build a company. So do you spend much time quarterly, monthly, whatever, um, readdressing those like service ideas? The service ideas? Yeah. Um, yeah. So like what we do, um, every like we, we meet as a leadership team, like, every 120 days, every four months, it just works better for us. Cause during like busy tax time, usually there's not a lot of projects going on. It's just, Hey, just get work done. Yeah. So the rest of the year, there's usually like some projects we're doing. So for example, right now, like we have some system improvement work we're doing. So ahead of the personal tax season, we've kind of gone back through and gone like, okay, what's the customer experience as they come in as a new client, you know? Um, yeah. What did they see? And then like, you know, how can we guide them through our system that makes our life as painless as possible too? Like, obviously, you, you know, customer experience is top, but like, if that's primary and personal taxes are generally like a fairly low billing type thing, like, so they have to be very efficient. So we're just, yeah, trying to balance those two things there and, and make it, we're digitizing a lot of things Like we already were pretty good with like our, our client portal and all that, but just, you know, solidifying the system. Um, so we're working on that, for example. Um, and then we're also working on, um, like we do a lot of like estate work and trust work. So there's like some stuff in there, like putting together information. Like if someone comes in and, and they're like, what does this process look like? Hey, this is exactly how it works. Step one to 10 kind of thing. This is what you can expect and like how long it takes and kind of laying it out ahead of time. So yeah, yeah we're always doing little tweaks like that. So it's, it's kind of like you have to identify where the bottleneck is and work on it. And if something's working, sometimes you have to be okay to kind of leave it alone for a while. But sometimes I'm, I'm guilty of maybe tweaking too much here and there, but <clears throat> I guess the reason I'm asking about this is like <clears throat> it's hard to write down things that are service based. Like, how do you write down being proactive, commun- a communicator rather than waiting for people to ask you questions? Like, yeah, that's what I mean. It's yeah, like it, writing it down and putting it in a handbook's not going to make somebody do it. Sure, like, but you're right. It's it's something that like is always on my mind is like, I want to get ahead of questions with, with clients, whether, you know, potentially the same in your industry. Just like, I feel like I haven't done my job properly if they have a lot of questions. Yeah. I need to get ahead of those. And so like trying to educate other people on our team to have that same like response when someone asks the question, being like, how did that open house go? You know, whatever. Yeah that should be a, a trigger in your head saying, oh shit, I didn't do that correctly. Yeah. Not, it went good. I, I think you're <laughs> on the right track more than you realize. Cause I think you mentioned something in a recent episode. It was like, um, yeah, like after you're walking out of an open house, you would like send a text message immediately. Go, yeah. That's a process. So teach people to do that. Like that's, that's, a, that's a muscle memory thing. Like that doesn't mean you're a good communicator. It means you follow the rules. Hey, after every open house, you do this. Like 
I mean, you can't force people to do it, but like it's more of like if people shadow you and they see what you're doing and that that works, I think they'll be more um, okay with doing it. The other thing too is like everybody has their own style. So it's yeah. about, it goes back to like, did you get the right person on your team? And if, if they're good, they're probably good in like slightly different ways than you. And sometimes you have to be okay that like maybe 80% of what they do is the same way you would and the 20% is different, but it's not bad. It's just different than how you do it. Like sometimes you have to just be okay with it. But um, it is tricky though. Like every relationship's different too. Like every client's going to be different for you. Totally. Right? Some of them probably don't want to be updated that much. Some of them probably want an update every three hours or hour, right? <laughs> like, how do you know until yeah. you find out the hard way, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's what I always, like, one of my lines is over-communicate until they tell you to stop, right? That's a good policy. And, right? like, it's we could learn from thing. that. We yeah. could learn from that. Like, the accounting industry is horrible. Like, the, the old school way of doing it is, like, you know, if you're your corporate year-end, like, you drop off your box of stuff, right? <laughs> and then you wouldn't hear from the accounting office for at least two weeks because it just sits in a queue. And then... <laughs> Another two weeks might go by and someone will ask you for like the login password to like a memory stick. And then you know they didn't look at it for that two weeks because like they didn't ask for the password, right? Yeah. Like, so um, I think people are used to that bad service, which isn't good. So in some ways it's easy for us to be really good because we just, you know, it's low hanging fruit. But I always want to be better too. And I, you know, it, yeah, you've reminded me of something that I want to work on is like as stuff comes in, like we need to communicate. Even if it's like the admin team going, hey, great, we got all your stuff. Here's the timeline. We're probably going to work on it at this time. Here's the team that's going to work on it. Like giving people the forewarning of like, this is how the experience is going to go. Yeah. I, I think, you know, a lot of times it's all people ask for, right? Whereas if you hear nothing after a while, you're going to be like, okay, should I send them an email? It's been like a month. Like what's going on? Like, are they working on my stuff? Did they get it? You know? Yeah. Taxes are like, there's a very strict timeline to it too. And a deadline. So when it gets close to that deadline, I've felt the anxiety before when I've been like, oh, I only got three weeks left. I hope, I hope it's getting close to getting that number to send in, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and I think it's trickier too because like a lot of people have December year ends. So we get very busy at a small period of time and like it's, it's a juggling act. And something I try to teach like our managers is just it's, it's project management is what they need to do. Like, and it's, it's tricky because as an accountant, you start out, you're a technician when you start, like you're, you're an assembly line, like you're just, you're, you're entering data, you're processing transactions, you're, you're doing some analysis, but you're putting together a report and that's kind of what you're doing. And then you go into management and you think it's going to be the same thing. And you're like, yeah, I'm just going to be like reviewing their work, right? And like kind of yes and kind of no. It's actually more like you got to manage these projects and you should be talking to the client. You should be, you know, anticipating when these deadlines are and knowing, yeah, Denny has a tax balance due. We should tell him sooner than three weeks before it's due. <laughs> I'll put that in the file now. <laughs> um, I don't think that was an actual situation. No, I know. Um, but it is tricky though. Like it's, it's a different skill set and I don't think everybody has it. So that's the other challenge too with people is like figuring out, well, what are they good at? And like, where do they fit? Like don't, you know, there's this, these paths that in different, you know, industries that you follow. And like, is everybody going to just fit into that by default? Like probably not. Sometimes you have to think outside the box, right? And maybe this is a negative of the way that I think about our business, but I think about it in that it's a little bit more relaxed. Maybe we just do it that way because that's our personalities. But I look at a business like yours and think it's a much more professional environment, like with much more things written down versus 
we're getting better. And Rachel, our uh, office and, um, administrator, she's kind of made us a lot better in those ways. But for the first few years of me and Jamie bringing on other people, it was really just like, hey, this is what you're supposed to do. Go do that now. Right? There's yeah. no like guidelines. There's no uh, trial like, by instruction fire. manual. Here, go try to sell a house. And if you screw up, you're fired. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's just like, you got to text them on the way out of every single showing. And it's not like reminders. It's not like this like list of things that they're checking off with the first few clients. So I think maybe it's like part of our fault that these things aren't ingrained in people's minds. Um, but that's why when I look at businesses like yours, that is, in my opinion, like a much uh, a more professional, obviously larger business. I think there's a lot that we as a smaller, more laissez-faire company can take away from something like that to be more efficient and improve on those areas. I honestly think you're pretty streamlined. Like I've used your services before. You guys sold (laughs) a place that I owned and like, I was impressed. Like it was great service. Thank you. Like for me, it was probably too much communication, but like, that's good. I'd prefer that than the other way around. I knew where I was. I knew where things were at at any time. The place sold, got a good price. What can you ask? Like, honestly, like it was a great experience. It was, and I think you asked me early on, like, um, I shouldn't say you over, okay, I take it back actually, because at the beginning you did ask like, how involved do you want to be? And I kind of said, I just want the thing sold. You gave me your opinion on like some pricing and kind of like a strategy. I was like, that sounds great. I think I asked you like, should I paint it and stage it? And you're like, yes. And I was like, great, I'll do that. You guys sell it. Like, if you have questions, let me know kind of thing. Yeah. And then, yeah, it was like super smooth. Um, That's good to hear. I like think, I've I've used different realtors. I like and again, like everyone's got different personalities. I like working with I've worked with other people that have had great experiences with as well. Um, but before that one, there was like some other realtors we were working with on another property. And it was almost like um they advised to like not I was I, I said, should we do a little renovation in here? Because the place was kind of beat up. Like it had been rented for many years. My brother had lived there before, and like when he moved out, he was kind of like, you know, it was kind of kind of wrecked. <laughs> like um, people moved in, you know, like to the point where like there's countertops that like were the like malamine countertops that were like painted over. Um, and like when we we're going to sell it, like you could tell the paint was all missing by where the sink was. Right? Like it was awful. Like it was really bad. It's the first thing you see when you walk in too, right? Um, it had a sunshine ceiling, like you know those uh, in, the, yeah. in the kitchen, but it was not like a proper one. It was like someone took office lighting and just put it in the kitchen, and they're all mismatched tube, like you know yellow and like white, like like buzzing, like yeah. where the, the ballast is broken or something. Like it was really, it was it was so bad, like it was horrible. Um, and yeah, I, there's actually a good story about this one, but the experience was that like, hey, should we renovate this? Like even just a, like a very quick like cosmetic renovation. Like I was going to do like some, you know, Ikea cabinets and some paint just to yeah. kind of like fix up the, the obvious problems. Sure. Like, no, no, no. The market's hot. It'll sell right away. I'm like, okay, well that sounds really easy. Like if that's what you say, like I'm hiring you as a professional, paying you a decent amount of money. Great. You guys do that. Um, trying to think when this was, it was like 2021 sometimes like the market was like, it wasn't the peak of the craziness. I don't think, but like it was, like a favorable market, right? Yeah. Well, the place didn't sell. And then the solution was, yeah, you got to reduce the price. And I was like, well, like I've seen other ones in the building that are like, they look nicer, but I know the type of reno they did. And like, I'm okay with spending five grand to make an extra 40 here. Like, come on, right? Like that was kind of the equation we're working with. 
you know, didn't work out in the end, right? Um, Renners so, are, yeah, Renners I just, are I just wasn't impressed with their kind of like approach of like the, let's just, I call it lazy. Like it was kind of lazy. Like, yeah, you know what? This thing will just sell, even though you won't get the top dollar, it'll just sell. And I was like, I realized afterwards, that's kind of, like, that's how I saw it, you know? Yeah. Maybe that wasn't their intention, but again, maybe just poor communication, right? Sure. And actually, so to skip to the end of the story, I did a renovation on it. Very, somewhat superficial. I'll show you the pictures after it actually turned out pretty good. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I went back to the same realtor and I was like, should we stage it? Like, oh, I'm sure your renovations will speak for themselves. That was the moment I knew that I had to fire them. Cause I'm like, I don't want these renovations to speak for themselves. I did it. Like, they're not that good. <laughs> um, so anyways, we switched and it sold, got staged. I believe in staging. It works. I don't know. What is your opinion on staging actually? Probably know a lot uh, more than I it do. solely depends on the property. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there are times where I think staging adds a ton of value. There are times where I think it would be difficult to justify the cost of three or $4,000. Right. In that the potential for a greater sale price is pretty low. Right. So right. like, a, you know, like a standard one bedroom condo that has a pretty obvious location of where the dining room would go, a pretty obvious location of where the couch would go. Is it worth spending 25 or $3,000 there? Depends on how many listings are in the building. Right. Are there five other one bedrooms that are currently for sale that have been sitting for 30, 60 days? Maybe. But at the same time, are you prepared to carry that staging if it doesn't sell for three or four months? Right. Uh, your so it could be a slippery slope depending on the market you're in too, right? I'd, I'd say solely dependent on property. If you have a heritage home that you just did a big reno to and has some quirky layout things with some awkward rooms, <coughs> uh, then you know a $5,000 staging bill might be 100% worth it. Yeah. So I, I, I remember you saying that actually, like if you don't know the layout, um, that's a big reason, like, yeah. you know, if it, or if it's an awkward layout or like you need to show them like, this is how you can do it. Yeah. Right. Um, that makes a lot of sense. Honestly. Yeah. It, I think it depends a lot on, on competition too. If there are five, like I said, five other one bedrooms available and all of them don't look that good and yours is staged and has phenomenal photos and video, people get a feeling in real estate. It depends on the type of property too. If, if it is a likely going to be a rental. An investment property, right? That type of buyer Doesn't does not matter. care. They don't care. They look if at it the is, square footage. They look at it. Yeah, it's got appliances. Everything works. Totally. To go. Yeah. If it's likely a family home or like a family townhouse that is <coughs> you're pulling on the heartstrings a little bit, then staging can absolutely help. Yeah. Cool. Depends on the property. Thank you for saying that. Sorry. Go ahead. No. Finish. Sorry. Thank you for your compliment about the customer service. Oh I, yeah. I do welcome. think we're really we uh, have a lot of strengths in that area of our business, and they've mostly come from trial and error. And that's how, that's how it works. And Jamie and I both have service backgrounds. So I think it was kind of drilled into us in yeah. our previous lives before real estate that like do going over and above for a customer, even if that costs you money or time or both, uh, pays off in the long run. Totally. And I think the sensitivity to that in your industry is even more than mine because like you get repeat business, but it's over a much longer cycle and in much higher dollar amounts or, or can be yeah so it's like people will remember those little things that you did and it's like you know that's an investment kind of like okay that cost me money today well you know what they might come and sell their two million dollar home with you five years from now you just don't know yet you know and, totally yeah like i've used other accountants before and i had no problem switching because i 
Yeah. Before, before <laughs> I met you. But I, I, I had no problem switching because I didn't have any connection with them because yeah. it was just like, send me your seats. Then yeah. you send them their seats. Then a month later you get, okay, yeah. here's your tax return, whatever. But I appreciate so much about you uh, and your team of just like the extra over and above advice that you don't charge me for. <laughs> but I know that like you're going to keep helping me and you know that I'm going to use you for all my business stuff for the next 60 or 70 or 80 years, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate that. And I think touching on the customer service thing, one last thing mm-hmm. is just, I think maybe I sound negative when I am asking you for your policies and if you've written stuff down and things like that. But I'm more just like, I'm so conscious of it. I'm so conscious of, I think we're way better than we were five years ago as a, as a business, as a team, as like individuals even. But I'm so conscious of the little things where I come out of a conversation or a a situation with a a seller or buyer. And I just think, man, that could have been better. Yeah. And so I'm just trying to tweak the little things that could go from a seven or eight out of 10 experience to a 10 out of 10, right? Yeah. That'll continue forever too. Forever. Even if you get to what you think is a 10 now, then you'll want to up the game or something will change or, you know, and that's, that's what's fun about business too. Is like, just when you think you've reached the top or like you've reached some goal, like there's a new goal that's there. And I like, I don't know. I like that though. Like sometimes it's like disappointing finishing something. You're like, oh, well, <laughs> what am I going to do now? Like, you know? Totally. Yeah. I think I'm almost at that point in my career now that maybe you were at a couple of years ago. Right. Where, um, I mean, this year with interest rates climbing, our business is a little bit slower. So maybe that is adding to the feeling like I don't have a ton of stuff to do all the time. Right. But our team has just gotten very good. Yeah. And so now they're able to handle more and that makes me handle less. And now I'm trying to figure out like, okay, well, how do we, how do we either, how do I spend more time efficiently in this business to make our business busier, to make the people on our team busier, to keep growing, to keep helping people, whatever. Or is it like, okay, what, is there another venture that I can start taking up some time with? Yeah. And like, even just the last couple of weeks, I've been thinking a lot about that. We had a slower Mm. summer and is it like attacking different things in the real estate world or is it something else altogether so it's interesting to see you now like going into a different industry altogether which is very like i'm excited to watch it play out to be honest (laughs) me too (laughs) um even like do another episode on it for sure totally yeah even when you when we start talking about i can see the excitement in your face yeah which is kind of cool there's some fun stuff Yeah. yeah um okay you were talking about customer service and I want to go back to it just quickly. Okay. Um, I think when it comes to customer service, you cannot teach that too much. Like, or you can and you can't. Pardon me. I think you can share philosophies and share experience, but <clears throat> you can't teach the like instinct of and care, right? Yeah. And I think, <clears throat> sorry, I got something in my throat here. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> there we go. Um, I think it's like tone at the top that does it. Like, so I, I talked about hiring. So like if you hired the right person, that's, that's step one. Um, the teaching comes from like, I don't know. I've had people like shadow me. Like I have something that I do where like, I never go into a meeting alone if, if I can possibly help it with, especially with a new client. If it's an existing client, that's different. New client meeting, I always bring somebody in, whether it be another partner, but I actually prefer to bring in like a junior person or like we have managers like, 
that I've built up. But when I used to bring them into the meetings, they were juniors. And now they're managers because I've brought them into so many meetings and they just see kind of how I handle it. And sometimes like you don't realize you go into a meeting, you probably won't realize the things that you say or the things that you know, or like the little like just actions that you do because you've just done it so many times and you're natural at it. They'll take notes and they start to kind of mimic the way you do a meeting. And then I've come full circle where I'll, I'll be the person joining the meeting. Like one of my managers, like Chris or Bianca will like ask, Hey, can you join this meeting? I'm like, yeah, great. Like, I don't know what it's about, but happy to be there as like a cheerleader. Right. <laughs> then I'll watch them lead the meeting. I'm like, I've seen this before. Wait a minute. This is how I lead a meeting. And it's really cool seeing that. So I think service also like will come from that. And it also comes from like, again, if it's like a core value of your company is like customer service or caring or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, and you show that like the people who aren't good about with that will either like just not fit in and like just excuse themselves from it or they'll challenge themselves to be better at it. Cause they go, Oh, like if I want to succeed and I want to like, take Denny's seat and like do that one day, I better be really good at this and I got to work on it. Right. Rather than having it in a handbook or like trying to like teach it, it's just like, just demonstrate it. And I think it will happen over time. Or if it doesn't, it'll be very apparent and that person won't be around for very long and they'll, they'll make their way somewhere else. That's a better fit for them. That's a really, really cool point. Cause we, and I'm honestly, I, I never really thought about it in that perspective. Cause we, in any listing appointment, with new clients, it's the same. Like if I have a friend or an old past, past client that I've dealt with by myself all the t- for years, I'll just do it solo. But most of the time, we are at least me and one other person going to a listing appointment. Yeah. And I always thought about it from the perspective of it's two educated people's opinions. And yeah. I think that is valuable totally. for a seller or buyer to hear. If I say a number that they don't like, and there's another person that is giving their perspective and all the homes that they've seen in the neighborhood and they're sharing in most cases a pretty similar number but it might be 25 to 50,000 dollar difference it's just like backing up the expertise of the team yeah um i think it makes people feel important so i think from a um like a standout perspective if clients like the are, client from the client's perspective, you mean like yeah. when they have two people? Yeah, I agree. If they're interviewing three or four different real estate companies, yeah, and we're the only ones that bring two people, I think they, yeah, and it and people have told us like we felt really important that two of you are spending yeah. an hour and a half with us tonight. The other thing that I find with two people is like if it's a new client, you can try to guess who they are, but you never know what they're like until you get there, and um, like when the company was smaller and it was like mostly me and my dad that were going out to these meetings. It was actually, it, it worked really well. And I think it was one of our keys to success. Old guy, gray hair, young guy, doesn't know a whole lot, but like really eager, yeah. you know? And either the client would be like, oh, hey, it's like a father passing the business down to his son. So like, it's important that I'm there. I'm going to run this one. Or like I go to a meeting and the guy's just looking at my dad the entire time, didn't even look at me. I'm like, this is your client. Like he's, he, he doesn't give me the time of day. It's not going to work. I'm here to help if needed kind of thing, right? Yeah, And even if you bring two people, like it doesn't matter what two people, um, maybe you bring a female and like sometimes they might like go one way or the other too. And like, it's, it's, you know, there's the sales technique side, but I think also people do feel important and there's input and experience from, you know, both people. Right. Um, I've had it so many times where I'll bring like a junior into a meeting and I've probably done it in meetings with you where like, like I'll have to scratch my head that like you ask a question you're like, Hey, like, you know, how did this expense impact my tax return? And I'm like, 
I don't really know. I don't remember looking at that. And then it's like, someone's in the meeting like, yeah, I know exactly what that is. Here it is. Like, you know, and they bring it up during the meeting. I'm like, that's actually super useful. Otherwise I would have had to go back, get the answer and come back to you. Yeah. They have it right there because they worked on that part maybe. Right. Yeah. So, so much about those like initial meetings too, is, is presenting in information in a way that the consumer is going to hear it. Totally. And that can be very different ways for different personality types. And although I think, through a ton of experience, I've gotten pretty good at it. You're not 100% right all the time. No. And so sometimes you'll misread a personality and present something in a way that they're kind of confused about. And the you other person right away, is just right? a different personality that can maybe alter that communication a little bit. And then it kind of, yeah, it, it can, I mean, can If, if you're on your meeting. own, like you, I'm sure you've experienced that. Have you been in a meeting on your own and then you're like mid-sentence and you look at the person and their eyes are just glazed and you're like, what I'm telling them is just like, like, what's the feeling you get? You're, uh, like early I, I on. I feel maybe. like I'm, yeah. So, or, I mean, yeah. now, yeah. now I, I, I feel like I can read that pretty quickly and adjust. Yeah. Cause sometimes, and it'll be either with somebody else or by myself, I felt like I had to get all this information out. I have a lot of information in my head. I have to share everything I've got. And that's what I felt like before, but it's not. And I heard this quote, I, th- I talk about it all the time of like, the, Communication is not what you're saying. It's how the other person hears it, right? Yeah. So if they're not interested in hearing all of this information, I'm I'm doing a bad job at communicating. Yeah. And I've cut myself and cut other people off in, in meetings where we're trying to present a lot of information about this neighborhood to show that we're area experts, whatever. And I'll just cut them off and be like, would you say, like me to tell you what I think you should list at? And they're like, yes. Yeah. Please. I'm like, okay, that's, I think that's it's really smart. Eight. You know, right, right, whatever. I heard something really similar recently and I I don't remember the exact context, but it's basically like sometimes, and this happens with, with accountants, engineers, or technicians, like sometimes people feel the need that like they need to share every detail from the start of how they're getting here. And there's a question at the end and they'll spend 15 minutes going through a bunch of information. And then at the end of it, it's like, yeah, I'm trying to figure out how much um, I should price this cup at. (laughs) A better way to do that conversation is like, Hey, Denny, I'm trying to figure out how much to price this cup at do you need any information? You'd be like, no, it's two bucks. Like perfect conversation over. Right. Versus wasting 15 minutes with information where you're like, what does this mean? I don't care. Like get to the point. Right. And so now, and this is really in the last like two or three years. So I say to people on our team and like my goal going into a meeting is ask a bunch of questions at the beginning, right? Be a good listener first and then adjust the information that you're trying to present or whatever that may be in the way that they answer those first questions. Yeah. Have you sold before? Yes. How was that experience? Terrible. Oh, you know, I mean, we were on market quite a while. We didn't really hear from the realtor. Okay, great. I need to talk about communication. You know, like just check things off in your mind as they're saying what their biggest hiccups were last time they went through this process, right? A lot of people, again, are intimidated by real estate. Yeah. To only do this one, two, three times in their life. They're not doing it weekly. Um, and so often they'll tell you what they're looking for. Right. First time buyers are often just like, I have so many questions. I just don't want to ask the wrong thing. Per- ask I, away. I was a, literally what you were doing 10 years ago. I did this exact same thing and I was overwhelmed. Ask anything. Yeah. Ask me the dumbest little questions that, you know, whatever. But I think going into the meeting, even just like switching that mindset, I felt enhanced my communication skills. Yeah. To listening, listener first, speaker second. Yeah. Listening is a good skill. 
like I feel like I always have to recenter myself on that too. Like I feel like sometimes I'm a good listener, but other times I need to kind of like really be focused on it. So it's interesting to hear that, you know, one of your skills that you sort of like try to pass along to your team is like to start with that. Yeah. That's really powerful. I might steal that from you. Yeah, okay. <laughs> 100%. 100%. This is what the podcast is for, just the share love ideas, it. right? Yeah. And there's things that I hear all the time where I just like, you're just adding to the memory bank, right? And uh, yeah, I don't know if I heard it on a podcast or something. And I think I talk, I talk to Carl all the time about like, why do I like Joe Rogan? And I like him. Be, I mean, he has some phenomenal guests and they're really interesting conversations, yeah. but he's such a good listener he is yeah i haven't listened to him in a really long time but i used to quite a bit yeah he's a very good interviewer you can see why he's popular you know and i think he's so good because he treats he doesn't treat the communication like an interview he treats it like a conversation yeah and he really genuinely cares about what other people are he shows interest like genuine interest in all of his guests and i think there's a lot of pre-work that probably goes into that as well but yeah shows naturally curious I think that's a really, really And you can't fake that, right? You can't. I think he is naturally curious. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. My question for you is on, I want to change gears to like marketing and like social media and all that kind of stuff. Because like, um, I feel like I have a lot to learn from you. Like your, your social media game, your, um, you know, the net you cast to kind of bring clients in. I feel like you've done a really good job in an industry that I feel like is very difficult to do a good job and takes a lot of effort constant effort too so um yeah like what what do you feel is like the number one thing that you do that like drives leads and then i think my follow-up question would be what do you think is like right now the most important thing like you know because these things change i think a lot too that's the other the other part of it right like what might be really important six months ago might not be as important right now sure right thank you for the compliments I, I feel like it's like the policy thing. Like it's like the communication thing. Every single year, every single month, there's things that I pick out of what we're doing that I think we're doing poorly and try to improve, right? Mm-hmm. There's never going to be a 10 out of 10 <clears throat> branding company. There's always things that yeah. other people are doing better that you can learn or that things that you can adjust to grow your business. Um, the first question was, what do we do well? What... Yeah, what do you think, like, is there one thing in your sort of marketing toolkit that you think is like, you, you know, if you could do one thing, this is what you have to do? As a realtor, yeah. personally? Or? Well, I mean, like, is there, yeah, I, I, as a realtor, because that's your industry. Like, what do you think you do that, that's, you know? I think, I think what I've had success with and what I really try to do when I put content out is there's a certain amount of our business and our social media is marketing homes right right a part of it is marketing ourselves so when you're marketing a home you're also kind of marketing yourself to a certain degree right totally yeah okay so creativity i think being yourself is very very important and i think you should have a face in all of those videos showing just a property video one is going to get less exposure so it's going to do your client a disservice because it's not going to get as many views Adding personality is beneficial for you because you're showing who you are, how knowledgeable you are, um, how much fun you are to work with, whatever, uh, versus, and, and, and when you are in the video, when you are educating people or doing something creative, you are 
now getting more exposure because usually those get higher higher views yeah. and clicks. People so you're like to also see helping people, right? the totally. Yeah. And from the property perspective, sellers also appreciate like the energy and the enthusiasm when you're talking about their home, right? They've been there for 20 years. They have have so many memories. They've, you know, done renos over the years that they're really proud of. Yeah. When you're marketing their home and you're excited and enthusiastic about all those things that they've done, they right. love it, right? So it's yeah. just another thing on that experience, like customer service. Totally. Thing, right? There's a name for this and I forget what it is. It's like in marketing where, uh, so I think car ads do this a lot where it's sort of like, hey, there's the new Lincoln Nautilus. And it's like, they're not trying to sell the Lincoln Nautilus. They're trying to reaffirm the people who bought it that it's a very cool car and that all their friends are watching this. And like, yeah, I got one of those, right? Same it, idea though, a little bit. Like it, it's like, you, on one hand, it is marketing. Like you're showing that home yeah. to you know, the audience that might be looking to buy. But then your existing customer is looking at that and going like, man, we have a really nice home and our realtor makes it look really good. And I'm proud of that. 100%. Like, yeah. And they're sharing it with friends and they're telling us, yeah. they're like, we, we Check sent out our, video to all our and friends. And your videos yeah. are yeah. really cool. They're fun. Like, Thank you. Yeah. I um, think the best thing that we do though is understand when things aren't working anymore and can adjust to what is going to work for the next year or two. So right. my example is, I think I've said this in the CEO meetings before, but uh, five or six years ago, we used to post a photo of a house, literally one photo, and yeah. it would get 20 or 30,000 views. Yeah, that's incredible. Because nobody, <clears throat> nobody was selling real estate through in social media. And then was two it years only out, five years ago? Because it seems like that's like all like I see on social media now. Probably because I follow you, but... <laughs> it was like 2016. <laughs> okay. You could post a photo of a, of, a, of a charming exterior of a home and it would just go nuts. You And it would be so cool to walk into your next listing point and be like, look what I did. I just got 25,000 people to see that. Yeah, that's huge. Is anybody else you're interviewing have 25,000 views like on a photo? No. Okay, sweet. Hired. So that's tapered off, you said? Literally nothing. If you yeah. post a photo right now, you might get, you'll get a few hundred, depending on yeah. how big your following is. But the algorithm... Just photos in general, like, or just real estate photos or any photos? Real estate photos that is just I don't drowning. get 40,000 likes on my stuff, so I don't, I'm not in that territory. You're just drowning and drowning <laughs> in... Uh, like everyone is a content creator now, right? And right. it is almost so, the barrier to entry to be a realtor now that you're advertising homes, the homes that you're selling on social media. Right. If you walk into a listing appointment with a 35-year-old and you don't say anything about social media, they're probably going to think you're putting in no effort. Right. So, but that's then transitioned to property videos. So we started doing property videos probably 2016. So maybe yeah. the photos thing was 2014, 15. Right. And at that point, very, very few people in Greater Vancouver were even doing property videos. And then we started talking in property videos when people weren't doing it. And now everyone does that. Right. So now the next thing is like... I don't think everybody reels. does it. Well, I mean... The people that you're competing with are doing it. The majority sure. of yeah. the people that are selling more than 10 homes a year are, are doing a pretty good job in terms of professional photos and a video. But very few are doing creative reels right now. And a creative reel will get, I don't know, somewhere between three and 10 times the amount of exposure that mm -hmm. a, just like a walkthrough property video will. Reels are addictive. I can attest to that. They're, <laughs> they're, they're cool though. I like, I can, I can see what you mean, the art behind it. Cause sometimes I get captured by that where like you see somebody's reel and you're like, man, that was really cool. I've never seen something like that before. Like the combination of the music and just like maybe they threw some photos in there with a bit of video. Yeah. Like there's so many different ways you can do it. 
even just the creativity of how the video is presented, right? So we have this girl, Kylie, now that does all that stuff for us. And just the way that they're outlined, right? There could be like three different videos moving at one time in that screen. Right. And it just like is eye-catching slash showing off more of the home in a shorter period of time, which also is advantageous in in our industry. But I think that's what we do well is one, we are not afraid to try different things. Yeah. And not afraid to... In an industry, I think that was like very traditional for a long time. Very. Like... Very. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then I, th- I think we're just like, okay with being uncomfortable. Okay. Everyone, oh, when I started doing video 2017, maybe, well, first of all, I didn't do it. I would just tell Jamie to do the intros. Right. And at that point, we only did property videos for like the higher end listings. Right. Yeah. We wouldn't do it for like a normal one bedroom condo or something. And anytime, usually both of us were there, there for photo shoots for the higher end listings. And I would just tell them to do it. I'm just like, I'm not comfortable in front of a camera. It makes me sweat too much. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. yeah. And now it's probably the funnest thing I do in, in a week. It's interesting hearing, hearing you say that. Cause like I see your videos and like, you're very comfortable. Like, it, I don't know, you look, you look like you are at least. When yeah. you do anything a thousand times, it just becomes natural, right? So be yourself. I think being genuine. Try new things. Especially in like. Be okay to be uncomfortable. I like, yeah. Push yourself to be uncomfortable, then it will become very comfortable. Yeah. And being okay, what's the uh, word I'm looking for? Change is good. Be okay to change. Don't get comfortable in your one little route, right? We got comfortable in our property video route. We did that for two years, maybe longer, of just like show up, put the mic on, walk down the street in front of the house and yeah. say a handful of nice things about the home, boom, into the video. That gets comfortable, right? Yeah. That's easy. And now we're pushing your creativity and your comfort level a little bit to like come up with ideas, to make them catchy, to make them... The music you're putting in there. Totally. Like, yeah. To like... Because you, you, you did one recently that was cool that I like where it's like, you did the little quick intro and it's like the camera's floating in and then it was just like, bam, hit with like seven pictures of like, you know, because they got the music that kind of goes with it. And I yeah. was like, that's cool. Like yeah. other people aren't doing that. Usually you'd see like some extreme sports with, you know, that would be the context, right? Yeah. This is like real estate, boom, right in your face. Yeah. Yeah. So for, that's on the property side. On like the branding side, my goal with the other video stuff that we do is, or even when I'm posting a photo and just sharing some thoughts underneath is always like consumer education. Same thing with the podcast. Yeah. Right? The real estate podcast is just like, what do consumers not know that's going to help them? What experiences did we go through in the last two weeks that we can share in a five to 20 minute little um, podcast clip mm. and help people that are actively looking to buy or sell real estate? Is your your real estate podcast is the primary um, audience realtors themselves or is it consumers or is it kind of 50-50? Do you know? Uh, it's really hard to track. Mm-hmm. So if I were to guess, I would say it's probably 25, 30% realtors mm-hmm. and 65, 70%. Okay. Like so it's still a high percentage of just realtors too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, do you think I'm way off? No, I think I'd be like around 20%, uh, I'd guess. Realtors, yeah. Yeah, yeah and 80% people. Because part okay. of it is is realtor education too. Yeah, because I, I, like a few of the ones I've watched is like, you, you know, you're talking about 
if you're starting out or, you know, here's some tips or here's kind of how I would do an open house or, you know, things like that, right? So the reason behind those things, one, is it's really cool to give uh, consumers a behind the scenes look at the things that we take for granted that are just normal to us. Handling multiple offers is a good one. There's really poor ways to handle it and there's really good ways to handle it and a consumer would never yeah. know. Yeah, like your right? policy of kind of like just calling everybody. Everyone deserves a phone call. Yeah, yeah. You I send like in that. an offer, you get a phone call, right? Uh, <clears throat> I think that goes a long way. And back to my comment of like the the way the industry used to be. You know what I mean? Because I don't know. Like I haven't bought and sold a ton of homes, but like I feel like I've witnessed a few realtors that might fall into that category where like you just see them and you're like, I'm not intimidated by you, but like I don't really feel like talking to you. You know, like I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> There's realtors that just have a policy that the best offer that comes in wins. Right. And in a busy market, that is doing your seller a huge disservice that can result in over $100,000. Yeah. There was one last year in 2021 where in calling everyone back, we sold the property for $160,000 more than what the original best offer was. If I'm a realtor that has this policy so you, for no reason doing that I job. don't call anyone back. Yeah. The seller loses out on $160,000, which is literally life-changing. And then some money. people say, oh, that's unfair because now they're paying more. It's like, it's more fair. It's more fair. It's and more that, fair. That person's uh, an individual and can make a choice of whether they want to pay that or not. That's, you know. A lot of the problem behind multiple offers, now we're getting like very into multiple offers, <laughs> but a lot of the problem behind <laughs> it is you have no clue what you're up against until the deadline, yeah. right? So we're often, we're writing an offer. We're calling, let's say the 5 p.m. deadline. We're calling the realtor. At 4.45 saying, how right. many do you have now? I've two. got three. Yeah. And two other realtors, including you, said they were going to send them in too. And then you send your offer at 5 p.m., assuming right. there's five total. Yeah. And then you get a call at 8.30 because he hasn't answered your text for three hours and says, oh, we actually got 21 offers and it's old. What? Well, why yeah. didn't you let us know that there was a big change there? You submitted your offer. So did everyone else. We took the best one. It's just, it's mind yeah. blowing some of the stuff that happens. Yeah. It's mind blowing. Yeah. But it's like, okay. is that, does that come down to lack of experience, like lack of care, or just like, I just don't know how to handle Like, I don't know. Like, you know, what do you, I think some people are stuck in their own old ways. And it's usually the, this older is my people. policy that I've always had. I'll never waver. They don't look at like what's changing yeah. or, you know, because it used to be like, I don't, I don't think, you know, Vancouver real estate hasn't been like this forever. Like, I talked to like, my in-laws, they both were realtors in the 80s. And like that was back when you had to have like the book that would be printed and you'd look through it and then you'd drive your clients around like old school, right? Yeah. And like selling a house within three months used to be very quick. Yeah. Like, yeah, my mother-in-law would be like, yeah, if you sold it in three months, like you're doing a really good job. Like things wouldn't sell in a week. It, it's impossible, right? The book is crazy. Yeah. I couldn't even imagine not having some sort of MLS system to... Like that was to, MLS. That was like, I, yeah, I guess yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. But it was just a printout binder. <clears throat> yeah, every week there'd be a binder that would be sent to the brokerage of like all the new listings. And then you'd go through like, okay, here's the neighborhood. You know, you highlight a few. You'd phone your client and go like, yeah, I saw this one. Like, do you like that area? Like, do you want to drive out there? No, I don't know. Like, what does the description say? Like, no pictures. Like, you know. One blurry picture. Or maybe picture. there's one. Yeah. yeah, one blurry picture. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, she had an old listing sheet from like the house that she sold. It was like, I think it was their own home. That's when you can sell your own house too. Yeah. I think that's why she became a realtor originally. I sell my own houses. Can you sell your own house? Oh yeah. I didn't know that. You can sell your own house. The, How does it uh, work? I thought it was a conflict of interest now. No, you're allowed to sell your own house. 
Oh, you just need to tell okay. people. There's a you just document. disclose. Okay, it's, what is it's, it called? Disclosure of interest and trade. Okay, I learned something today. Your uh, insurance doesn't cover you if you make a mistake and get sued. Right. Okay. In that transaction, if you're selling your own home, but so don't lie about what the house is. If there's like a oil tank or exactly, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's like you. Like, why would you? Let's say you are the best accountant in Canada, and you're doing your business taxes. Would you outsource them to someone else to do a poorer job? No. No, I think it's silly. I thought you weren't allowed, though. That's news to me. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That's how I feel. Like, I feel like our team is really good at marketing and selling homes. Uh, why would I... Oh, that makes perfect sense. Hire someone else. Anyway, uh, back to the podcast thing. Because I think this is an important answer to your, one of your questions of, like, wh- why we do things and that we do them fairly well. So the real estate podcast for me is so fun because when I was new in the industry, I probably cold called, cold messaged like 10 or 12 realtors. And I think one or two of them said yes to going for coffee with me, just ask questions. So now part of my thing is that like, I was pretty lucky to find a mentor like Jamie, where I learned a lot about this industry very in a short period of time. And so now I want other people to have an outlet for information that maybe they don't feel comfortable cold calling people yeah. or they just don't know where to get it. When you're new in the industry and you don't have someone to kind of show you around, it is so challenging. And I heard some stuff. I can only like, imagine because you're kind of like, you're just solo. Like you don't, you know, even if you have like Sutton or whatever kind of company you're working with, like you're not an employee there. They're yeah. not really taking you under their wing. It's just sort of like, you have your license, go and sell. There is literally no education. The I mean, the licensing program is so silly that they have to have some sort of yeah. like entry barrier. It's like, can you do compound interest and can you, you take a business ethics course, I guess? Like, am I wrong? I haven't taken it myself. No, it is. Is that kind of, yeah, okay. But what benefit is, is knowing how to calculate an annuity to me? I luckily did it in a, a stats class in year one university, I think. Yeah. And so that section was so easy. <laughs> <laughs> but if you go into the course... Never ever like calculating annuity, and there's a pretty good calculator for that. It would be like it took a while to figure that stuff out. I don't know, but have I ever calculated that or used that calculator again? No, nine you mean years. You've in? never used the the phrase like if somebody is going to lose out in a multiple bidding situation and you want them to bid like an extra hundred thousand, you've never been like, well, that's only like uh, four hundred dollars a month more. Like if you <laughs> so yes. But I'm, <laughs> okay. but I'm not calculating it on the calculator and I'm not plugging all the numbers. I'm usually just yeah. like, w- because we deal it's with it so you often. Course, otherwise it. you wouldn't know the number. <laughs> <laughs> we know it though, but like there's so many easy programs online. You can just Google mortgage calculator, yeah, totally. plug in $500,000 mortgage. I think you rate. can just type it like into the Google search bar and it gives you the answer. Doesn't. I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah. really? I think so. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So no, I haven't ever use that calculator again um that's a so that's a big thing for me and i don't know why i um care so much about that maybe it's because i felt like i was wasn't responded to when i was in the first year so maybe it's just like hey i just want to be the guy that says yes to other people that want advice or want some experiences or don't know where to go for information but i help people too like i think you know but not, that this, you're, not that you're doing it to get something out of it. Like, I think there is an intangible benefit of like, you know, yeah, feels good. Yep. You're returning the favor yep. in a big way. 
and self like selfishly too sharing all that information just reiterates that you are the area expert in that field right i feel like in some ways you're like this you know those old like magician shows where like the guy would show how the tricks were done and the other magicians <laughs> like hated him like for, for, for giving all of the secrets and stuff. Like, yeah. I feel like in some way, some of the stuff you give out is like that. Does it, does it feel that way from your side? <laughs> I've never thought about it like that, but I, I was listening to one and I was like, you're, you're giving away, like just kind of like the, yeah, what happens behind the scenes. And I was like, man, this is like pretty valuable for somebody that's, you know, new in the industry or hasn't gone through that before. Totally. Yeah. They shouldn't be secrets though. Or, to me, it felt like there were some secrets there, yeah. like in a good way. Like, man, this is gold. Like somebody's probably sitting here writing this down right now. Totally. Know? Yeah. It's, it is very rewarding to get messages on Instagram from realtors that listen to the podcast and like say thank you or that's cool. ask you to talk about something else or whatever. Yeah. Very cool. Have you ever um, connected with like, you know, you obviously have other people that work on your team. Like, are those all, are those connections through social media, any of them? Like, or, or did they originate there? Uh, Adam, No. Adam ran a painting business, like one of those college pro, I don't know yep. if it was college pro, but yeah, one, one of those, those painting yeah. companies like that. And Jamie did that before real estate. Okay. So I think they had kind of connected through social media, but with that like painting connection. Yeah. You can do pretty well in those painting things. Like surprisingly. It is a short season and it's a grind. Like hearing their yeah, stories. It's a lot of work. It is so much cold calling. Like door knocking, walking around, you know, very, I don't know about you, but like, how many painters are you excited to refer to your friend? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, they're not the biggest customer service industry. And maybe there is some opportunity there in that some, if someone can dial in the service aspect of painting. But I think if you're trying to stage and sell a condo quickly, if they can get through it, there's value there. I know how much I paid painters and it was a lot. Absolutely. But they got in and out of there in like two days and did a great job. Absolutely. Yeah. And it makes a big difference. Yeah. Um, I just think the majority of their business is like cold. Every yeah. single lead is like door knocking. Okay. Yes. This person I had a guy knock on my door the other day and asked to clean my gutters. And like, I felt so bad for him, but like my gutters don't need cleaning. Like I almost <laughs> wanted to hire him because he was doing a good job, but I'm like, ah, oh, sorry. You got to go to the next house. <laughs> I felt really bad sending him away. Yeah. I, was I wonder, just thinking like, I wonder if you'd come to poor Moody. <laughs> <laughs> all, all it takes is one person to get their gutters cleaned in the neighborhood. Then they'll usually knock, right? Yeah. yeah. I think naturally though, people will um, start following you on social media if you're very active and, and that like education focus. Because Monica, I think, reached out to us. She's a hustler. She wanted to do our open houses. So when she started, open houses are such a, such a, uh, such a good way for new realtors to just be in front of people that right. are actively it's looking like you to can't buy. be there because you have something else. So you send a representative to kind of just post the whole thing, right? Totally. And yeah. she would harass me. Like, how many you got this weekend? We're like, we have six. She's like, just give me one. <laughs> like, well, no, other people on our team are doing them. Yeah. Right. But, uh, so I guess that was a social media connection. And cool. I think we've really gotten a lot more consistent and better at this stuff in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. And everyone on our team has been there now for four years at least. That's pretty good. Yeah. Those three. And then yeah. we have one newer person. But Are you guys looking to like bring on new people or what are the thoughts? Not there? Like, yeah, We're pretty selective and our <clears throat> business is I think a unique one in terms of teams in real estate being that 
we don't really ask people to do a lot of prospecting. Because you guys have leads. Like the majority of the leads. My original marketing question sort of comes from like the, it sounds like you have this lead generating machine, right? The website is huge. Is the website like percentage wise, like if you had to go between social media and website for like new, like cold calls from like, you know, not existing clients, like what percentage would that be? Together? Like, uh, social media them, and website together? Well, like, would, yeah, like, I guess, what are you looking at percentage wise? Do most of them come from the website? I'd say social media and website together is probably more than 50% of our business. And then 50%, and then more than 50. And then the rest of it is, is repeat? Repeat clients and referrals, referrals from yeah. past clients. That's huge. It is unbelievably powerful, that website. Well, no wonder you're killing it, man. Like, it'd be hard in the industry to go, I'm just relying on only referrals and repeat. Especially when you're starting. Like, okay, great. It, I sold this person's house. I did a great job. But like, like in my industry, if I do a really good job, I know for a fact they're coming back in 12 months. And sometimes that's a long time. Yeah. <laughs> like, for you guys, I mean, like, how often do people buy houses? Like, every, what's the average? I don't even know. Like, I would say even five years is probably, like, tight, you know? Honestly, for people our age, uh, it's probably, like, three to five years is pretty normal right. to turn over because a lot of times families, that kind of an thing. individual yeah. or a couple is buying a two-bedroom condo and then they have a kid in two years and now they're looking upsize to the townhouse in it. Yeah, okay, Especially that's not too bad then. Yeah. in Greater Vancouver over the last decade where it seems like every year other than one is better than the last. And so when they bought that two-bedroom condo four years ago for 450 now it's worth 700 Okay, take that equity, move into something bigger. They have more yeah. options, yeah. Interest rates are, you know, 0% before. Man, wasn't that so nice? What are we now? 5.75, uh, <clears throat> I think is prime. Is that what prime is? Yeah. That makes sense. Because I think the, the bank rate's like three and a half right now, I think. Like the overnight the rate. The overnight rate. Yeah. And then it's usually like a spread from there, right? It's, uh, it's not fun watching your mortgage payments go up <laughs> every month. <laughs> Significantly. Yeah. Um. Okay, I, on that note, like, I'm curious, like, is the sentiment, do people still think that interest rates are just going to come back down, like, in a short period? Because my personal opinion is that, like, I don't think we're in for, like, crazy high rates. Like, we could be. But I think it's going to level off. And, like, you know, where we are now is probably going to be the normal for a long time. Because that is normal. Like, the zero is not normal. I don't know. And I get mixed feelings from... I don't know enough about the way the Bank of Canada works to accurately answer that. But I'm more I get, like, what's the sentiment? Like, what are people saying? What are they thinking? Like, totally. Yeah. I get a lot of info from mortgage brokers. Yeah. They seem to know more about this stuff than me or how interest rates so. work. Totally. That's what they do, right? Totally. <laughs> there, a lot of their feeling is that there might be one or two more hikes in October 27th, I think, is the next meeting. Yeah. Another three quarters, probably, I think, is what they're saying. Half or three quarters. And then some say they think that's going to be it. Some say they think one more. I think there's going to be one more, is my thoughts. It's interesting think how quickly it. they're doing this, though. Why think about they- it. So this is what I heard. And this is just my own opinion mixed with some stuff that I've been kind of researching. But like inflation really happens because of like a consumer mindset, right? Like if you think that you really like bubbly, right? No name bubbly. Um, <laughs> cost a buck right if you know that tomorrow is going to cost a dollar 20 and you like this you're gonna you will borrow money to buy it today right which will cause the price to go up Mm -hmm. if you 
think that this is actually going to be 90 cents tomorrow, that things are going down, you will wait till tomorrow to buy it. It's like gasoline, right? Like yep. you'll, you'll, you'll kind of bet on it. Like, I think it's going down. It's really high right now. I'll fill up tomorrow, right? Like, so all they're trying to do right now is just change the mindset to like, things are going to be cheaper tomorrow. Stop spending money, people. That's what they're trying to do. And the only way to do that is by raising interest rates. And right now, I think, I don't know, but in Canada, I think in the States, because you get more info from the States quite often, like on these inflation numbers, um, at least, I don't know, I watch like these, some of these YouTube things and all that, right? Um, but like inflation is like, I don't know, some say it could be as high as 10% because nobody really knows what it is exactly because there's different measures and all that. And the interest rate right now is only like, what, three and a half, four percent 4%. So like the only way to get under control is to have that rate higher than what things are actually getting more expensive by, kind of, right? So I think it has to go higher in, in, in the short term to tackle this. Mm. But that's just my sort of like semi-educated guess. But I don't think we're going to be like, people are like, oh yeah, it's going to be like the 80s, it's going to go to like 18%. Like, I don't think so. Yeah. I think we know a lot more than we did back then, I hope. But um, I think there's going to be some pain before there's some relief. And then I think it's going to level out at like, yeah, like a two to three kind of percent, maybe. Two to three is a lot lower than it is right now, though. Sorry, I'm talking like bank rates. So that means, you're like, that means like, that means like, um, so what? mortgages would be like 5%-ish, like yeah. four and a half to five, yeah. like around that range. Yeah. And then maybe tapering down into the threes at some point in time, but like yeah. two, three years out, maybe. Yeah. Why do you think they're, I don't know if you have an answer to this. I'm just curious, but why do you think they're increasing so quickly? I think it's a strategy. Like, I think they're trying to scare people. Like I said, because right now, like, there's, they're trying to break consumer confidence, basically. Like, again, like inflation's only cause or a big cause of it is what people think. So if, you know, it's the self-fulfilling prophecy. So even right now, like it's kind of worked with real estate. Like people like, you know, I'm sure you're talking to people and they're going like, I'm not in a huge rush. I'm just keeping my eye on things. Cause like if I buy now, I'm probably overpaying. Right. So that's exactly what they want. And it, the real estate's almost kind of a leading indicator if you think about it. Right. Because it usually goes up, like, especially single family homes, they'll be on fire before anything really happens in the economy, but then something will happen. Right. So in this case, like interest rates went up and it kind of like, you know, didn't destroy the market, but like things cooled off rather quickly, I think, totally. especially in certain demographics of the market, right? For sure. Yeah. But why not, why not do the big rate hike in one time? Like why do half a percent, oh. then half a percent, then next month, 1%, then next month, 0.75? I think that, I don't know. It's a good question. And like, my question is coming from like, if they are actually looking at inflation and saying, okay, what did this 1% do? 30 days is not enough time to figure out what it's doing to the market. Yeah, I think they're trying. It's a bit of an experiment. Like, I think if they did it all at once, it's like a risk of just total destruction. Like, sure. a, and, and even right now, like, there's like talks about like some big banks that are actually in trouble, like similar to like 2008, like, you know, Lehman Brothers and all that kind of stuff. Like, mm. I think it's like Credit Suisse and Deutsche Bank. Yeah, are, like, I heard that. I think they're like, I don't know. And it could be just like, like hype, you know, clickbait type stuff. But like, you know, they're looking at restructuring some stuff, like, i.e., they've lost a bunch of money. They're way over leveraged, right? So like if you make that big step all at once, like it puts people out of business. It doesn't give them time to like adapt. So I think they're trying to make it as easy. I think do they call it a soft landing? I don't know. They're trying to they're trying to do that. So that's maybe why they ease into it. Okay. Versus like, okay, we know we got to get to this level. Let's just do it all at once. I'm not an economist, so <laughs> no, I understand. It's fun to have these conversations though. Yeah. Um, just to get someone else's perspective too. 20, when's the next federal election? 2024? 
When did they, they did it in 2020, right? But that was like a, yeah, yeah, yeah I think so. So 2024. <coughs> so we have a year and two years. Two years? Yeah. Um, the sentiment from mortgage brokers is that they think towards the end of 2023, rates will start coming back down and not down to where they were at zero. Because of the election? Yeah. I always wonder how much control they really have over that, though, because technically, and I know there's politics behind it, but like technically the Bank of Canada is not like a government, like they're not controlled by like the elected government. They're their own independent body to an extent, but obviously there's influence there. So I mean, yeah. yeah. How are those people put in those positions? I don't know. Do you know? They're not elected. No idea. Bank of Canada no, is not elected. They're appointed, I think, but I don't appointed know why. Appointed by who? I don't know. It's a really good <laughs> right. question. Because if they're know. appointed by the federal government, then. Like, I do feel like there is some level of independence, but I go like, well, it's a government agency and the leader of the government, like, is going to have some influence over you because it's, it's part of the same entity, right? Like, totally. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. I, um, it's fun to watch this stuff play out too, because. May, June, July, August were very, very slow in, in the real estate world. And then for some reason, September 7th happens. There's another, what was it, 0.5, the last one? 0.75? I think it was 0.75. 0.75. Yeah. That happens. So another rate hike. And the last three weeks have been the busiest three weeks in like market activity in the areas that we work. Tri-Cities, uh, East Van has been really busy too. North Van is busy uh, in those areas for the last six months. So are consumers assuming that the rate hikes are kind of stopping? They're getting a little bit better grasp on, okay, this is what my new rate is going to look like and my mortgage is going to look like, and then just adjusting for that? You know what I think part of it might be? People have 90-day rate holds, and those are coming to the end. I don't know. So they have a, a, a rate locked in. That's pretty good, a five-year rate that's from, you know, and it's gone up twice since then. And they go, well, if I'm buying now, if, you know, either I buy now because, you know, obviously if rates go up, their affordability goes down. And I don't think prices adjust, you know, one-to-one. -one. Sometimes it's like, hey, it's gone up. You know, I can afford 80 grand less now. Well, has that market gone down by 80,000 for like the condo I was looking at? No, maybe not. Maybe yeah. not yet, right? Yeah. That's, that's just a total like assumption. I don't know if that's it. Yeah. Um, maybe we people have been used to it. They kind of go, hey, this is the new reality. Like, you know, again... Prices have come down. Hey, it looks attractive. Let's let's do it, right? Yeah. Because we've seen pretty big declines in prices in a lot of neighborhoods, like upwards of 20, 25%, which really? is super significant. Single family home or like? Yeah, single yeah. family in like the Fraser Valley, single family in like Pitt Meadows, Maple Ridge. <clears throat> I'm not surprised because I mean, those were on fire for a long time. And I think, and, and I think people were making some, I don't want to say false, but like some interesting assumptions about like work at home and remote work and all this stuff. And I go, that's definitely still there. And I think, but I think especially in the smaller towns that basically were kind of like un, you know, discovered maybe. And now it's like, Hey, people are working from home or remotely. Great. The prices have gone up. They were like probably too low to begin with. Yeah. But like, I think Fraser Valley, I go, people forget, like, I love the Fraser Valley. I hate going there when there's traffic though. Like it's <laughs> difficult. Like it's really difficult. Like I'll go in like, we'll drive to Kelowna and I'm like, I forgot how long it takes to get to Chilliwack when there's traffic. Like it sucks. Yeah. Like, so if you have to get anywhere, it's, it's a little bit of a distance. Um, but you know, we've, we've had people that moved out that way 
less than two years ago that already want to come back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm not surprised. It depends. I mean, it's, yeah, I don't know. I've never been one to like, when I'm looking to buy a home, I've always, I haven't been like, some people go, I need this much space. I'm going to move east until I find that in my price range. Totally. I've never done that. Totally. But I've known a lot of people who have and they're happy. Like, you know, I've always been like, I want to be in this neighborhood. Yeah. I can't afford it. I better just keep looking until I can make something work. Yeah. Like, and then somehow, some way, something usually works. But yeah. Or start small. It's always in been that difficult though. Right? Every time I've always been trying to like bump up a neighborhood and it's always been like a struggle. Like, oh man, like this is way too expensive. Like, what am I doing? You know? <laughs> It's a weird, man, I, talking with Ty, oh, a realtor in the Fraser Valley, he's just the, he was kind of sharing his clients and how much money their families are giving them right now. And I, for some reason, I don't think that we have that same like, experience. Like, so for, for like down payment kind of assistance type stuff? Yeah. He said he had some uh, client give it, or client get gifted 600K last year. That'd be nice. <laughs> isn't that so crazy that but it's crazy honestly how do you as a young person it's pretty intimidating but my advice is always like start small and you don't yeah. have to live in the first place that you buy right you can buy a one-bedroom condo for 425 totally. grand rent it out pretty much cash flow neutral yeah and in first, three or four years from now if market goes up you can refi or sell that to buy something that you want to live in or whatever that may be but a lot of people don't think that way. They think I yeah. need to buy the house that I want to live in for 10 years right now. Yep. I'm and thinking of my first place I lived in. 250 grand. In-laws lent me, like us, the down payment, 12,500. Lent us. So it was like on their line of credit. So I had to pay it back. So it was like 100% financed, <laughs> which is kind of foolish, but like, and it was a lot of money at the time. Like, I don't think we had very good jobs. Like we were like straight out of university. But it was a place to live. And yeah, I mean, a place to call your own is awesome. And you can make it your own. And there's like, so you start to learn, like, you know, you do renovations, Carl. Like, you, like some of these places, it's very superficial. Like, hey, there's 80s carpet and some crappy furniture and a paint job and maybe scrape the stuff, you know, the popcorn ceiling. Hey, it's modern now. It's pretty nice. You know, put some nice artwork up. It, you can make any box nice now for relatively inexpensive. And you just described Carl's, my process over the last Carl's month. doing that right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we bought a place in Poco, a single family home. Yeah. Uh, we were watching people go in and go out. The previous owner had two big dogs, original oh. carpets. None of the vents were clean. It smelled really bad. Yeah. But it, the location was fantastic. The house, the space and everything. And I, it was just, for me, it was so easy to look past that. Yeah. It's all cosmetics. It's so hard for the average person to look past that though. Yeah. Like, especially if it's a place you're going to live in and you bring your wife there. It's like, it's like a, it's like a, it's love at first sight or it's yeah. like a no, hard yeah, no, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. And like the smell probably. I've been in a house like that before. It's yeah. hard to get over the smell. Like, you I know, know candles burning and everything. Yeah. Like, yeah. you're like, no, there's, there's been a dog urinating in this house for many years. Like, it yeah. stinks, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it seems yeah. like when people are upsizing to single family, they are able to overlook some cosmetic things. Right. But for some reason, a smell, it just turns people off immediately. And then they don't even remember the house. We'll be outside and, and the only thing they're talking about is how bad it smelled. Like, did you like the layout? They're like, what layout? The smell is terrible. You know, like <laughs> they just couldn't even get over it versus like ugly carpets. Seems like when you're going up to single family, because a lot of people understand that they need to make some concessions to get into single family in Greater Vancouver. Right. The first time buyer going into the condo, it's very different. 
and it's harder for them to look past cosmetic yeah, stuff. Yeah, condos are so easy to renovate. They're just empty boxes. Like yeah. You can gut them and put in relatively low-end stuff for like really cheap, yeah. like, you know, and make it look nice. And you're not worried about the exterior, not worried about structure and any of those things. Everything else is taken care of, right? Drainage, yeah. roof, and You're not moving windows. plumbing usually, like, yeah. I think just usually those are younger people that are inexperienced, that have never done a reno, that are yeah. intimidated by real estate itself. Yeah. Adding a reno on top. Often a lot of those people too are stretching themselves financially a little yeah. bit. Whereas it seems like the people going to the houses are maybe a little bit, more experienced in life maybe they're mid to late 30s instead of 24 years old right and they're a little bit more financially conscious and they're They're saying okay our budget's one eight but we only really feel comfortable to one five so let's look there yeah versus that condo buyer often is like i got 40 grand down let's max it out and And then go over that and then you say well there's a forty thousand dollar renovation here if you're doing new floors updating the appliances and countertops or whatever yeah and they that's too much right yeah yeah I think I give myself too much credit though. Like I was terrified at the time. Like I didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea. And I like even on the Rhino side, like I don't I didn't really know what I was doing there. But my father in law is pretty handy. And like I remember when he walked through, he almost was like his eyes lit up. He's like, you know, the rougher the better is what he kept saying. Like the rougher the better. Like and this place, like the countertops were like like someone had cut it with like a skill saw, like and moved <laughs> part of it like to a different part of the kitchen. Like you could just see it. And it was like there was like clear silicone kind of like, you know, holding it together. And that was like what you saw when you walked in. You're like, oh boy, right? But yeah, I don't know. You learn, you can learn pretty quickly. There's a lot of stuff you can do on your own. Even if you're not a handy person, like painting, anybody can paint, you know? Just basic tools and you got YouTube. You have so many references YouTube to watch. Is great. Right? It's amazing. Yeah, you, you can look so up anything. Things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, here's how to install hardwood floor. Great. Like, can you click Lego together? It's kind of the same thing. That's like, exactly it. Yeah. They yeah. even got like friendly floors for people who've never installed it. You just lay them down. They don't even click or anything. Right. There's lots of products out there. Yeah. Based on Lots my experience, choices. you should get someone who knows what they're doing to lay floors. Oh, I know. The I'm floors just... here were so bad. Oh, Carl really? had to redo them. <laughs> they didn't level Upstairs. the floors before. It was just yeah. a click lock and they just got stuck around a couple corners and they decided to glue them down and it's just... Oh, yeah. They weren't free floating anymore. Right. They get buckling in random areas, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. We had that in our, our townhouse, actually. It was like... I think they didn't leave enough space yeah. under the baseboards. Yeah. So when it expanded and stuff, like it would buckle. And then right in the middle of the living room, like it actually came apart, like the seams came apart and like half of the floor went that way, half of it went that way. So there's this huge gap that would just collect like dirt and yeah. it was horrible. I ended up having to pull up all of the floors because you have to go from one end to yes. the other. Yeah. And then I was like three quarters of the way through it. I'm like, why didn't I just get new floors? Like I'm putting, <laughs> like I'm doing all of the labor and I'm putting these crummy floors back in, but I was like determined to not spend any money on it. <laughs> like I just did it. Yeah. Real estate's so fun. Yeah. But then, at the, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was say that at the end of it, you can kind of see like, here's what I've done. If, you know, if you're selling it, like I've never been one to like lament selling something. It's always more of like, hey, that was great. That was a great phase. I'm happy with what we did there. On to the next thing, you know. And these are valuable things to go through because when you do a reno, even regardless of whether you're doing it with your own hands or you're hiring someone, yeah. it's your idea, your creativity that come into life. Yeah. You can now, like knowing going through it myself, I can see why people are so passionate about their homes. Like they're passionate it's, because of the memories, but also like the blood, sweat and tears that they put into it. Yeah. Projects are always way more work than what you think they're going to be. Like you draw it out, you're like, oh, this is easy. It's just some paint and like pulling a wall out. And then yeah. it's like, you open the wall. Oh, there's plumbing in here. Always. Yeah. Oh, always. there's asbestos in here. You know? Like, <laughs> yeah. 
It's funny, like meeting older couples that have been in their homes for a long time and they did like a big reno 20 years ago. And so today it's essentially a house that needs to be fully renovated. Yeah. But when they're walking through the home, they're like so excited about the things that they chose and the knobs that they, you know, outdated whatever to them is still modern. And totally. Yeah. Yeah. But you got to appreciate the, like I said, going through your own reno, I think you, you learn how stressful they can be and how financially draining they can be how long yeah. things take how long to do they take so you uh can at least appreciate their enthusiasm for them mm-hmm. absolutely okay let's get out of here jordan you're the man thanks for coming back thank you i uh admire you very much and i like spending time with you so thank you for taking some time away from your kids <laughs> thanks <laughs> for coming no, out with me. i'm glad to come back it's been three years. Hopefully it'll be a little sooner before the next the Let's next one. Do one in twenty twenty three. Yeah. When uh the new venture is a little farther Absolutely. ahead, we can I'd love to share some ideas. I have some ideas for your real estate one too, maybe we can talk about it. Of what to talk about on that one? For what the real have, estate podcast? Yeah. Sweet. I'm in. Cool. Thanks, buddy. Thank you.